Amen. Amen. Great, great stories. And uh, I'm so thankful for what God is doing in the life of our church. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about a great concept called Jubilee. And Jubilee, we'll t- look at it in just a moment, uh, really means produce. It means that bl- blessing is basically what it means, the blessing and produce and productivity. And that's what, exactly what Christ brings to our lives. You know, uh, when I was in uh, high school, I was getting ready to get out, <clears throat> and my parents had told me for a long time, look, we're not going to be able to pay for school for you. You're going to have to earn that. You're going to have to work for that. You better get scholarships because we're not going to be able to pay for it. And we want you to go, but we want you to understand this is your responsibility. So I had saved up some money uh, in the summer, but you know, you know how 16, 17-year-old kids are. Um, I spent a lot of it too, and uh, as I got nearer to college, uh, my senior year, I was able to get a few one-time local scholarships and then a partial tuition scholarship to the university I was going to, and so I went in. I also got a job there, and uh, I would make like three or four dollars an hour. wasn't that much back then. I think, matter of fact, I think it was like four fifty an hour, and uh, I would work, and then I would get a little check at uh, the end of every two weeks, and uh, that, that was kind of cool, and so I was making it okay, but then after my freshman year, because of my outstanding academic achievements, um, the university let me know that I was, they were not going to be giving me that money uh, from that point forward, and so I thought, shoot, what am I going to do? So I worked real hard that summer and made a little bit of money, but still it was, a, it was room board, it was everything. And uh, I started to work that job, and then I got another job, but the job on campus that I was working, I started working about 20 hours a week, but their policy was, you don't have to pay for all your school right now until the end of the semester. We're not going to release your grades, but as you work on campus, as we provide this job for you, everything that you make is going to go there, so you're not going to see a dime of it until your debt is paid. So... I began to work, and I was working 20, 25 hours. I took another job, so I was working close to 35 or 40 hours a week. And um, as I would do that, every two weeks, I, I had been accustomed to getting a check. All of a sudden, I was getting nothing. And it was the most demoralizing, depressing thing I've ever done. You would work, you'd work, you'd work, and the two weeks would come up, and nothing. And you just did it. And, and I know it was nothing like being an indentured servant, but that's what I felt like I was because I would work and then I'd get nothing for it. And I just kind of skimped by and then I'd get to the next summer, I'd make a little money, be able to apply part of that, and then I'd go through this process again. So I remember my senior year, I was trying to get some financial aid and do I need, maybe apply for a loan, let's see what we need to do. And so I'm in there talking to them and um, I'll never forget the lady said, your debt has been paid. It's paid in full. And everything forward for this year, your last year, it's all paid for. What? Yes, someone has paid your debt. And so you mean when I'm working, when I work, you're actually going to give me money for it? (laughs) And I, I can't tell you how that felt. Like all of a sudden they were giving me paychecks for working. And, and I know it sounds ridiculous right now, but I can't tell you how freeing that was. And I just had a new perspective on education and college. And it was great because everything I worked for, I got paid for. 
It was amazing. Now, that is a small glimpse into a concept that may, hopefully you can understand called Jubilee. Jubilee, it's a wonderful pronouncement that God gave the nation of Israel early on in his covenant. And let me read to you in Leviticus 25, 8 through 10. Matter of fact, we'll put it up on the board and you'll see kind of the gospel of Jubilee. We see God's grace. We see his salvation. We see his atonement. We see his restoration. You shall count seven weeks of a year, seven times seven, so that the time of the seven weeks of the year shall count for you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement, which is the most holy day of the Jewish calendar. It's when a lamb was sacrificed on behalf of the nation's sins. It's when everyone, all those who were God-fearing Jews would fast and, and look forward to what Christ, or excuse me, for what was being done for them and how their sins were forgiven. And on the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee, it shall be a blessing, it shall be a time of production, fulfillment for you. When each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his people slash clan. So, we know that today when a child is born in 2016, they automatically are part of $42,000 of debt. In other words, if you had a little brother or sister that was born, or if you have a child that was born in 2016, they are born in debt. It takes $42,000 per person just to pay the national debt that we have right now. So you're born into the process of debt. We know uh, as believers in Christ that we were born into debt. What do I mean by debt? Well, there's a perfect and holy God, and we are sinners. We are sinful humanity, and we were born with this debt that we owe God our lives. We owe God his worship and his authority. We owe him our obedience, but we're disobedient. We do our own thing. We go our own way. And we, that is an affront, that is an act of aggression, so to speak, or rebellion against God. And so we have this debt before him, and we just keep piling it up over and over and over again. And so we have this immensity of debt that we're born into and that we have. Well, the nation of Israel, what was happening with them is sometimes something would happen. In other words, uh, they would get in a position where they couldn't pay their bills. They couldn't, they couldn't feed themselves. They couldn't live. They couldn't have the basic necessities of life. Maybe it was because of the death of the father. Maybe it was because uh, of uh, an injury or illness. Or maybe because the father or those who are in authority of that family, maybe they gambled away. Maybe they drank it away. Maybe they made unwise decisions. Maybe they took off and left. And so just to survive, they're trying to make it. Now, what's interesting is the Jewish Talmud, which is basically a commentary uh, for the Old Testament, said this. If that happens to someone and they accumulated debt, this is how you're to handle it. This is their social security program. This is their social program. The first thing that you do, if you can afford, if you're wealthy enough, if you have enough, then give them a job. Someone else was to give them a job. If there was a job that they, that they needed or they could provide from, then give them a job. That was the first thing you, you were to do. If the jobs are taken and there wasn't an opportunity for a job, then you worked. Give them work. Now, what's the difference between a job and work? Well, a job is, this is what you do. Every day you come in, and you take care of the cattle, or you take care of the sheep, or you plant, or you harvest, whatever. That's a job. But work would be, today, 
I want you to go work in my house. Tomorrow, I want you to go and I want you to pick corn. The next day, I want you to go and water all that. Whatever work you could find, you would do that. Because God wanted them to retain the dignity of the individual. And then the third thing that you could do was uh, you would give a once or maybe a twice a secret gift. You would, it would be charity, but you would usually give it to the priest or the Levites, and then they would give it to the people in need. You were never to announce, hey, you know, John, I know y'all have a tough time. You can't pay your bills. I'm going to write you a check out here and give it to you. You weren't supposed to do that. You weren't supposed to do that. Why? Because you were stripping them of their dignity. And you weren't supposed to place yourself in that because God had blessed you with it. And that's what you're supposed to do, but it wasn't for your credit. So you were to give it uh, to the priests of the Levites to take care of that family. And the last concept, if none of that, when, after you had exhausted all that, then what could happen is your land, your property would become another's property. They could buy it and they say, we're going to buy this. And if you were so, so severely in debt, you could never even pay it off that, then you also would become a servant, a slave. And that's how you would become a slave because your debts were so high. But here's the beautiful process about this. There was a year coming called Jubilee. Jubilee. Every 50th year. You know what happened on Jubilee? Every 50th year at Jubilee, all people were given back their land and they were given their freedom. You were giving land. So regardless of how big your debt was, of how much you owed, it was all returned to you at the 50th year. You didn't have to wonder if I would ever get out of this process if you were born as a child into that debt or you were born as a slave because jubilee is coming. And, you know, in our capitalistic society, we think, well, that's real good. Right? What about the people who, who paid the debt? What about the people who took ownership? You know what? Here was the deal. The process was you will profit from it for a while, but when Jubilee comes, you'll release it. And part of it was, I'm, I'm sure it was God's thinking, you know what we're not going to produce? We're not going to produce a, a, a generation of entitlement. Just because your father earned this and just because you had servants growing up, you, you, they had to tell their children, you can't expect this all your life. Somebody's not going to make your bed and cook your meals and clean the house and do all your chores. The rest of the you can't expect that. The day's coming when they're going to be free and they're going to go back. So you're going to have to learn the family business. You're going to have to learn a trade. It's not going to just all be given to you. Now, you're going to be secure because we've got our property, we've got our land, and we've done well. But this whole servant business, you're not going to have it. And that was God's favor too. Favor to the next generation. So if I'm born into slavery, there's a day coming that I'm looking forward with that I'll be free I can do what I want. I can earn my own living and all the money and all the work I did. It will produce a return for me. And I won't have to live as a servant or a slave. It's a beautiful concept. And the nation seemingly maybe observed this for a while. But then as time got on, they began to get greedy. And not only that, they began to turn away from Yahweh God and worship other gods. And Isaiah begins to prophesy and telling them, uh, what's going to happen. And Isaiah prophesies this verse that we'll read in just a moment that Jesus will quote. And then Jeremiah comes and prophesies about the captivity that's going to be take, uh, taking place. As a matter of fact, they were all made slaves. In part, you can make a biblical argument because they no longer observed Jubilee. But it wasn't just Jubilee. It was much more than that. So they were supposed to be releasing slaves and now they're all going to become slaves. And that's exactly what happens.
And so you see this process of 600 years, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus comes, and we know from Luke chapter 2 that he comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the Messiah, the Yeshua HaMessiah. He is here. He is coming. And then in Luke chapter 3, we see he's baptized in the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit is upon him. And then in the first few verses, the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 4, what happens? We see there that he is taken off into the desert and for 40 days and 40 nights. He, he fasts and he prays and he resists temptation in the power of the Spirit. And then that's where we pick up right here in Luke chapter 4, beginning with the 14th verse. And Jesus returned, here's that word again, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as, he was, as was the custom in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So he goes to church because that's the custom. That's what he's supposed to do. Then we go on to the next verse. And it says, and he stood up to read. And what he's done, what's happening is they've, they've sang. They've done like we've done today. They come. They would sing. They would have a time of prayer. They would read scripture. And then someone would get up and they would do what I'm doing. They basically give an, an understanding of the passage. And so the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And this is Jesus reading this and saying this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has appointed me. He has given me a position to proclaim good news. That's the gospel. The gospel means good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind. I'm proclaim liberty. I'm proclaim freedom. It's the picture of jubilee here. You know that concept that maybe you heard your parents and your great-grandparents, your grandparents and your great-grandparents talk about, about how they used to free everybody, but it's no longer in existence. The favor would come upon people. But he says, I want to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind. And to set liberty, set at liberty, in other words, give freedom to the oppressed. That word oppressed means, uh, literally, usually was used for imprisoned. I want to free you from the debtor's prison. I want to release you. And I want to proclaim the Lord's favor, the Lord's grace, the Lord's jubilee for you. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, hey, today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know that prophecy from Isaiah chapter 61? That prophecy that the favor of the Lord is going to come back upon the people? I am the favor. I am the blessing. I am the jubilee for you if you will receive me. Many were angered by that, but many had hope for the first time. They had the opportunity. You see... They recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the only one that could pay that debt, that sin debt that we keep committing and we put up and we built up a huge wall and an insurmountable debt that we could never pay off because of our sin. They recognized that and they said, we ask for your forgiveness and we make a commitment to follow you, Jesus. That's what he's asking us today. Recognize that Jesus is God. He is the one who has the power to say. He's the way, truth, and life that no man but the, comes to the Father but through him. But we all have a sin problem that blocks us from a holy God. Our debt is too high. 
But Christ, in his richness and mercy, is willing to forgive us if we'll put our hope and trust and commitment in him. Have you done that? I've told this story before, but when I was in high school, um, I, you know, I loved playing sports, and I, I had all these dreams, but you know, like every kid, you know, you want to play professional sports, and then it became apparent that that wouldn't happen. Well, maybe I can play in college, and then soon it was apparent that was not going to happen. And, uh, and so, but then I just want, man, I just, I want to, I want to do well. And so I was hoping that was going to happen in baseball. We didn't have a good, good senior year, so that didn't happen. I really wanted, my goal was to go play at LSU. They're not interested. Um, I was interested, but they had no interest. <laughs> then they are track. I, I, I'm going to, if I can just, you know what, if I can just go run at the state track meet at LSU, that would be it. If I can just make it there, I, maybe somebody will notice me, but if I could even just get there, then okay. And, and I had a really difficult schedule as a senior year. I had two ath- hours of athletics. The first hour was track coach's aid, and then I had athletics the last hour. So by this time at the end, I've been running every day for first period. That's what I did because I was the track coach's aid, you know. And so I would run every day. I was running bleachers. I had the weights on my ankles. I, I'm running distance. I'm running sprints. I'm running all the time. So now it's, I've got about four or five weeks left in my high school career. And we go to the first meet, I win it. Great. I'm going. 200, I, that's awesome. Regional, I got to go win. I got to place first or second at regional, and then I get to go to LSU. I get to go run the state track mix. I'm so I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm ready. I've been running. I'm even running on weekends now. My time's the best that it's ever been. And so we get to the regional track meet, and uh, they, they put us out where we're supposed to be. And I'm on the eighth lane, and this is in the 200. And if you know anything about track, when you're running the 200, you're actually, it looks like you're given a head start, but it's, everybody's running the same distance. So I'm in the eighth lane, and that's where you usually put the losers. You put them out there so at least they can feel like for a little while they were ahead, even though it was, they really never were, but psychologically you felt like, you know, I didn't start off at last and, and leave last. And so I'm out there in the eighth lane. They, you know, the gun sounds, I'm running, I'm running as hard as I've ever ran. And about halfway through, I, I'm waiting for somebody to come up beside me. They're not there. I'm 10 yards away. I'm still in first place. I cross a line. Boom, I won. I'm thinking, oh, yes, yes, finally. I've worked hard for this. I'm a senior in high school. I got four weeks of school. Left. I'm going to the state track meet at LSU. I'm so excited. I'm so pumped. The guy comes up to me, he says, what's your name, son? I said, Ron Holton from Simpson High School. He goes, oh, that's not what I got right here. Oh, yeah. No, that's wrong. It, it's Ron Holton. So he said, well, let me go check on this. So my teammates are, you know, all the guys on the track team are congratulating. My parents are excited. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm so thrilled. I'm so excited. This is my dream. At least my, part of my little dream. All the other dreams weren't going to happen. This is the one dream that I had, I had the opportunity to happen. And so I'm so excited. And uh, they come back in a few minutes. And my coach comes over. He grabs me and he puts his arm and he goes, son, I'm sorry, we didn't have your name written in that event. Somehow we made a mistake. And I go, oh, I said, well, what can we do? Can you go get it? He goes, I, I've tried. He goes, and we're talking, we, I've got our principal. They're talking to him. We're trying to do it. He said, but I don't think it's going to happen. So they tried and tried, and soon enough they came back. And they go, hey, we got to, we, um, basically we've had a disqualification. The new winner is. So there I am. I'm done. You know what I mean? I don't have any other events to run. I'm I'm done. And, um, you know, my, my teammates say, hey, man, that's all right. Don't worry about it, da 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 and, you know. 
And I'd like to have, and then I'd like to tell you I had this great story, but then somebody got hurt and I got in and then I won the Olympics, but no, that nothing happened. <laughs> it's just over. I mean, I I'm a loser. You know what I mean? I like laws. That's that's it. And you know, people feel sorry for me for about five minutes and then they're drinking Coke and pop eating pop rocks. I mean, that's that was the end of it there. And so, you know, that's how my high school career, pitiful athletic high school career ended right there. And so I never got to that dream. You know why? Number one, because my name was not written in that book. And number two, because I didn't know someone, I didn't have a relationship, I didn't have somebody with the power and authority that could change that. I came into that race with my name not written there, and I left with my name not written there. And it didn't matter that I had ran every stinking day of school my senior year, and often on Saturdays as well. It didn't matter how work, how fast I'd run. It didn't matter that my time was better than everybody else. I was disqualified. My name was not written. And I didn't know anybody with the authority or the power to change that. Why do I tell you that story? Because that's the picture of all of us. It doesn't matter how many deeds you've done. It doesn't matter how hard you've worked, how good you've been, how much you think you've done. At the end of the day, you know the only thing that matters is that Jesus Christ, because of his blood, because of his forgiveness, has had your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You can't do it. Your father can't do it. No one else can do it. It's only because of Jesus. He's the only one that has the authority to say, hey, father, write his name in. I am covering him. He has put his hope and trust me. He has asked me to forgive him. Put his name down in the book. He's the only one with the power and authority. And it's not just recognizing he exists. It's not just thinking he's a pretty good dude. It's recognizing he is God. Asking him to come in your life, forgive you of your sins, and putting your faith and trust in him. And when you do that, it's jubilee. Your debts are wiped away. God sees you as clean, as perfect, as first place. There's nothing in between you and him because Jesus has paid a debt you could never pay. He's lived the life that you could never live, and he's died the death that you should have died, and he's paid the price. To Tetelestai is the word. It is finished. We use three words. When Jesus' last word on this earth was this, Tetelestai. You know what that is? It's an accounting term. It means the debt is paid. When he died, the debt was paid for all who believed and put their trust and hope in him. So here's my question to you this morning. Have you done that? Have you done that? If not, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. We're going to pray together. And then I'm going to tell you this. We're going to sing a song uh, called I'm No Longer a Slave to Fear. And I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't usually say. I'm going to ask you to just remain seated for the first couple of minutes. But if you're here this morning and you are committing your life to Christ, or you're saying, hey, I'm ready to follow in believer's baptism, or maybe you even say, I'm ready to go public with my faith, in my testimony. I'm ready to let other people know that I'm going to invite you to stand. Now, everybody shouldn't stand because some people have already done that. Some people are not going to do that. So there won't be a lot of people probably standing. But if you are committing your life to Christ today, or you're committing to follow through believer's baptism, or you've done that and you've never let anybody know, you've never let anybody know where you stand, you've never shared your testimony, you've never shared the hope of the gospel, then I want to invite you to say, I'm going to do it specifically there's someone I'm going to go share with. I'm not just a concept. There's somebody I'm going to go share with. There are people that I'm going to share this with. So for those who accepted Christ today or this weekend or saying, hey, I'm ready to follow in believer's baptism or I'm ready to go public my testimony, I'm going to invite you to stand in the first two minutes of the song while everybody's seated and you go, hey, that's kind of awkward. Yep. 
just like this one young girl. Did you see what she did a while ago? She stood by herself a while ago in front of everyone. And why do I, why do, I do that? Because if it's serious, so many times in our head we'll say, oh, yeah, I want to do that. I mean that. Or No, I'm, it's just like that song. I'll stand with arms wide open, my heart wide open. I'll stand. So that's what I'm encouraging you to do. If you feel that, and I'm not going to manipulate. That's a, a non-manipulation. It's a hard thing. But if God's, if, that's, if you're sincere about that commitment, that's what I want to invite you to do. Would you pray with me? Lord, I know there's some here this morning that don't know you as Savior. They know about you. They've read books. They've watched TV. They've come to church. But they never come to that place where they said, Lord, I believe that you are God, Jesus. You have the power to save and forgive me my sins. And I commit my life fully to you right now, the best I can. I'm asking for your grace to save me through my faith in you. And I commit my life to you today. Or maybe you're here this morning, Lord, I've, I've made that commitment, but I've never been baptized. And Lord, I'm ready to follow in believer's baptism to give testimony of what you've done in my heart. Or Lord, I've done both those things, but Lord, I've never gone public with my faith. Lord, there's some people I need to share the gospel with, and I'm committing right now to share what you've done in my life, to share my testimony, to share the hope that's within me with so-and-so. If you've prayed any of those prayers, if you're willing to make that commitment, then in the first two minutes, I invite you to stand here in just a moment as we sing this song. Father, thank you for this time. May your name be honored and glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.